talking internationally now, I saved, I'm not going to say the best for last because there's so much facets to your story, Kareem, and with Steve. And I got to say, you know, hearing your story of playing together has been incredible and understanding how things went in the, in the 2003 playoffs and then uh, the life and times of Kareem. You cannot talk about Kareem Garcia without bringing up the three letters, WBC. And that's where I think you most shined on the stage. I think you took the bull by the horns and you really gave your whole heart out to, to Team Mexico. And it was just incredible to watch you every single one of those games. And I love the tournament. And the tournament is coming up this year in 2023. Uh, opening round is coming in March. And Team Mexico is going to be playing out of Arizona. And as luck would have it, a Steve Carsey lives in Arizona. And as luck would have it, a Jonathan Chosen Lawyer and Kareem Garcia happen to be going to Arizona in March and will be watching WBC action. Uh, Kareem, how does it feel knowing to watch the WBC versus participating in it? Like, you must have that itch to want to put on a uniform right now. Absolutely. I mean, when you see those those games, you know, every time you put the letters in front of you, it represents your country, is USA or Mexico. You, you have to feel the pride that you wanted to play, you want to do the best, you want to show the rest of the world what is your country made of, okay? And and we, we have to play against the United States that we know is probably the favorite team to beat, you know? And then we have Canada, which they're not that bad either. And then we have, you know, uh, I think it's Germany or something else, a couple of teams. But, you know, Canada and United States are difficult um, tasks for Mexico. And we played them before, and we know they always put the all-star team for the WBC. And this year, it'll be the same. You know, so I would love to see March 12th, what's going to happen between Mexico and the United States. Because we, we had a couple of pictures over there that they're not that bad. You know, Julio Rios is doing incredible things with the Tigers. And you got Orquides. You got a couple other guys that are, you know, there's their time to shine right now to show them, you know, what they're made of. You participated in three WBCs, correct? Yes. 2006, 2009, 2013. I'm going to save the worst for now, and I'm going to put that <laughs> to the second because we're going to talk about that because I'm going to ask you about uh, the second brawl, obviously. But I had a little <laughs> bit of a summary. So there's been uh, – so there was 2006, 2009, 2013, and the last one was in, in 2017, right? And now it's and now it's coming back, fortunately. Uh, Mexico hosted the opening rounds in 2009, 2017, so 2009, you get to play the opening round in Mexico, which is incredible. You have Fernando Venezuela and Teddy Higuera as coaches and Vinny Castilla as a manager one year. How about for those names? So second round uh, advance in 2006, right? With yes. the with Team USA. So Canada and South Africa were out. You go into the second round and you are got South Korea and Japan in your uh, groupings. So... Yeah. Team USA and Team Mexico are out, believe it or not. 2009, I found it very fascinating. I have a feeling, Steve, that the gamblers were in on this opening round and there was some yeah. heavy betting on overs because you got Mexico losing to Australia 17-7, to Mexico beating South Africa 14-3, to Mexico beating Australia 16-1, to Mexico losing to Cuba 16-4. to These are all baseball games, by the way, folks. This is not... <laughs> Not football games, it's not uh, hockey games. These are baseball games. And then in round two, Mexico loses to Cuba and South Korea. So it, it, those second rounds are tough. When you get advancing and, you know, those uh, 
initial teams, you know, the Cinderella stories come once they go and the big boys come, it's very, very difficult. In 2013, opening round out, you had USA, Italy, Canada, and USA and Italy advanced. And in 2017, the host, you lose out as Puerto Rico and Venezuela advanced. Italy and Mexico are out. So mm -hmm. first and foremost, you look at the WBC history, Kareem, and you look at Japan, you look at USA, you look at Cuba, Venezuela. For for coming coming from Team Mexico, look at the team like how much has to go right in order to be able to advance in a tournament like this? Preparation. First of all, is is preparation. The teams in Asia, they're they're ahead of everyone right now for the WBC. Because these guys, Japan and Korea, they're already working out since middle of January. Okay, they're all working out there. They're ready to play a game right now if, if you put them on the field. And some of the guys are getting ready for spring training. So your body is not ready to competition. So to put your body in, ready for or in shape for competition in two, three weeks mm -hmm. is very difficult. You know, you can be an all-star, you can be a superman if you want to, but it's difficult to get the timing and everything going right for that. And I gotta ask you, Steve. You know, being stateside and and having seen this tournament continuing through its progression, I love it. I always thought this should be as big as the World Cup of Soccer, and I was really excited when they first created it. And it's been gaining traction. It, you know, pandemic put it on hold for a bit, obviously. But my feeling is, you know, it has not gotten anywhere close to its potential. Like this tournament should be a lot bigger. Should be really globally exposed. You know, when we're going to go down and watch the, the tournament, I guarantee we'll be able to get tickets to any of those games anytime we want. Why is that, do you think? Why do you think WC is not getting enough of its, uh, especially stateside, as it should? Yeah, you know, I love the tournament. I think it's it's incredible that uh, they're able to get, uh, you know, all of the players to participate and to represent their country because it's such a special thing. Uh, I, I just don't think it's as big, in my opinion, is because they're doing it so early, right? Guys aren't in shape, as you say, you know, where, you know, soccer and the World Cup, it's not, it just, it's put on a big stage over a month. And you can't do that with the World Baseball Classic because you can't just disrupt a Major League Baseball season because of the dollar value that is put on what owners want to make. So they have to do it either at the end of the season or at the beginning of the season. Now, do we do it at the beginning of the season when guys are fresh and they're getting ready? Uh, some teams don't like that because of injuries and things like that with their major league clubs. Do we do it at the end of the season after the World Series? But do we get the same type of players in these tournaments at those times? So, uh, you know, I just think it's a, it's a really hard dynamic to put together. They've done the best that they can to get the best players from every country to participate. Uh, and you're seeing it gain traction, right? You're seeing now the people in these different countries who want to represent their country, and it means a whole more to them about representing the, the, the letters on the front of the jersey as opposed to the back of the jersey uh, when, this, when this comes about. So, you know, um, obviously, I think the position players are in a much better position uh, as hard as it is to get ready, hitting, fielding, get your body ready, and all of that in three weeks, it's even harder for a pitcher yeah. unless he's been throwing for such a long time. But as everybody knows, and I've tried to explain this to a lot of people that I have run into uh, on the amateur side, is 
throwing a bullpen or throwing in a simulated game is completely different than throwing in a World Baseball Classic or a major league game as far as the intensity goes, uh, as far as what your body is able to put out. And you just become more sore after an outing in a in a real game as opposed to uh, something that's either – you know, a, a bullpen session, a, a live BP session, or a simulated game. So I think that's kind of rounds about factors that I think uh, where it hasn't been, uh, you know, on a world stage as some of the other uh, sports have. Reem, I'm going to ask you the same question. Where do you see the WBC as far as where it's been, where it's going? And, you know, should it be more popular? And what, if anything, what is holding back the tournament, do you think? I, I gotta agree with Steve. You know, I mean, you, you gotta you gotta put it. For me, you gotta be after the season, not before the season, because someone gets injured before the season, then you know the teams are gonna start stopping players from going into it. After the season one, you already finish everything and it's nothing else, and you're still fresh. You can you can play these games at a certain level or a better level. Right now, not everybody is is, is ready to play these games. Unfortunately, every year someone gets hurt and just gets the way it is. And, and the other thing is, you say you're going to be tickets. It's one game. There's not going to be any tickets left. Mexico, USA. They already sold out because there's so many people that wants to see that game. And it's a lot of Mexicans in Phoenix. So mm -hmm. believe me, that's, that's, as I remember playing in, in, in WC, every time we play against the United States, it's either 40,000, 35,000 people in the stadium. So, believe me, that's, that's the only game that probably is going to be sold out. The rest of them, uh, it's nothing I can say about it. I, I got to tell you, I sleep very well at night. I have some connects. I have a feeling I will end up at the game, but we shall see. The <laughs> cool thing about this, is, as, the, as the tournament expanded and you have the qualifiers in the offseason, right? And I can tell you of being Jewish descent and getting to hear news from Israel they went bananas when Team Israel was a Cinderella story and they actually got qualified and were going to make the tournament. This was a very big deal for a very small country that's not known for baseball whatsoever. I think there's probably two baseball fields, if that, in the whole country. And <laughs> having them advance and building up knowledge of baseball, wow, we're good at something. This is fantastic. We're not just getting Olympic medals in judo now. You know, this is a for, for a whole country, it captivates them and it brings attention to the sport. And it's a good thing. And all of a sudden, players that wouldn't even get a sniff anymore, they all of a sudden are getting exposed to the tournament and they're getting signed. You know, it's a really good way of finding talent. And other countries, you know, who would have thought of Great Britain and who would have thought of South Africa and Australia? It's fantastic to see the globalization of the sport. So I'm really, really excited about that end of it. And I got to see Team Italy play here in Toronto when they came for their uh, – the qualifiers the, the team that really stuck there was venezuela like they were singing and dancing the whole game venezuela ooh, venezuela ooh, and they were just having a great time gotta ask you because um the one country that always stuck out to me now things have opened up there but before was team cuba so you're watching team cuba play on tv and you see there's guards with machine guns in the dugout that seems a little odd and every single time there's an issue with a pitcher it's not the pitching coach that's going up there. It's a team doctor that's going to check on them. And the commentator is saying, why is the team doctor going to make the pitching change? Why is the team doctor talking to them? Well, it turns out the team doctor for Team Cuba was Castro's son. And he's a big celebrity yes. in Cuba. 
And I was thinking, you walk around the hotel and you're bumping into Castro's son at the time. He's probably keeping an eye on you, you know? But, <laughs> you know, how neat that was. And two incidents I remember very clearly was pitcher goes up a home run. The catcher runs out. He almost slugged him. He got so mad at him. And another one was I think the outfielder dropped the ball and another outfielder raced out to him was going to slug him. Like, they are intense. Did you get the same feeling on the field playing Team Cuba? Absolutely. I mean, those those guys are are different, you know what I'm saying? Because uh, they have to go through too many things in their life to get to their team in no advancing on the first stage. For them, it's never playing baseball again at that, at that type of stage. They will look for another 25 other guys that will do better than them. And they have so much talent in Cuba, you know, that is incredible. So those guys know losing one game is pretty much no coming back to the stage or no coming back to any other tournaments. There's that expression, you know, it's always a funny one. When you talk about, let's say, Dominican hitters or from Cuba, it's you don't walk off the island, you hit off the island. <laughs> and they, every single game, they're all looking to get home runs, and I think they're trying to show up for the scouts. And I, I don't know if they come back after the tournament and Castro sits them down in a room and, you know, they have to talk about how they did, but it felt like there was a lot of pressure. It felt like this is political, this is their careers, this is their family, this is money. This is not just about playing for fun. They were taking it very seriously. Would you say in those tournaments, was Cuba the most intense team versus other ones, or were a lot of the teams very intense from the get-go? Uh, I want to say uh, intense teams, probably Japan, the, the Asian teams, Japan, Korea, they're very intense. They're very strict. Uh, they got curfew, stuff like that, just like the, just like the team Cuba, you know, uh, and they're police all the time. They're heavy fines, I know, for the Asian teams, if they're out of time, you know, out of their rooms and stuff like that. That's how they intense they are. And I know uh, after the game, some of those guys are still throwing bullpens after they just pitch in the game. Some of those guys are doing a couple hundred swings in the mirror just to perfect the swing for the next day. That's that's how they do it all the time. Favorite WBC moments for you? And you reflect across three tournaments that you played in. What sticks out to you as the best moments you got to participate in? Probably the the the, the first game that I ever played my my WBC, you know, in front of all all these people and and getting my my dad and being recognized by by the fans and stuff like that, you know, in a tournament. You know, I I got some great moments during the the WBC. I hit a couple home runs here and there, but you know, my first at bat, you know, on on that stage representing my country, this gotta be probably the best. And on that token, what was it like playing in the WBC when Mexico was hosting one of the one of the uh, rounds? What was it like being on your home turf? Oh, it was incredible. It was a packed house, believe me. There was no tickets left at that time, you know. But the stadium that we play in Mexico City is compared to Colorado Stadium, but higher, actually. The ball carries mm. more. So you hit a, a pop-up, and it's probably going 450 feet long. That's a pop-up. That's why those scores in 2009 mm -hmm. and 2013 were like crazy, because 16-4 to four on this stadium is nothing. You, you've seen games 22-27. to 27. It's like, are you playing football or are you playing baseball? Yeah. Well, as we're going to the 2023 tournament and uh, the three of us will find our way to the stadium and get to see the opening round in Arizona, 
Are we going to see a reenactment of 2013? I got to ask you because I'm, I'm in Canada here and we're very fun loving people, but you know, we take our hockey seriously and we love our hockey brawls, but apparently team Canada thought it was a hockey game at that point. And uh, who was in the middle of there, but of course has to be Kareem Garcia. So can you uh, fill us in what happened there on that WBC brawl between team Mexico and team Canada? It's one of those uh, on writing rules in baseball. The team Canada is winning for more than seven runs in the game over in the, in the sixth or seventh inning. And then they go and try to bunt the ball for a base hit, which they do. So that's, that's showing no respect to the team or to the pitcher to, or to the other, you know, players. So, of course, you have to react. You have to hit the next guy, no matter what. And unfortunately, our pitcher at the time was so nervous because a young kid, Leon, he threw three balls behind the back of the hitter. It never hit him. Finally, on the fourth one, it hits him. And that's when all hell breaks loose, you know. And you see what happened over there. A couple of balls here and there, you know. Which, but like you say, Canada was very fun because they pulled the shirt over your head and started going at it like hockey. Which was kind of funny to me. I mean, I, had a, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, as soon as the brawl starts, Kareem's like, I'm in, let's go. So that, that's how you played the game. When, I, when you said you were trying to take out Todd Walker, I wasn't surprised because you rounded the bases, you're getting to that base. Nobody's going to stop you, you know? Yeah. So the track came in uh, in handy. Kareem, honestly, you spent uh, such a great time today with us and sharing your life and times, your stories in baseball and uh, been blown away, honestly. You know, it's uh, you read it on paper, but it's another thing to hear the stories behind the man. And you've, you've been very, very open as far as sharing those. For your fans out there that uh, got to see you play, uh, what, 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 where is Kareem at today? What's, uh, what's going on with you? And any messages you want to share for your fans? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to thank you guys for inviting me to the show. You know, it was very nice. Uh, remember some of the stuff, you know, that I, I had, you know, I play baseball. And um, as far as baseball is concerned, Last year, I was I started as a hitting coach in a base and in a team in Mexico in the summer league, and then uh, I got the opportunity to manage a team in Mexico. Middle through the season, they asked me if I wanted to manage, so I took over to a team over there, here in Mexico and managed for the rest of the year, which was my first experience as a manager professionally, and it was fun. You know, it's it's different. It's different being a player than actually had 25, 26 guys. That they have to listen to you and and you work out, or or you have a different perspective what you want to do and these guys want to do. So now I understand managers even more than what I play, you know. And and it was fun. It's a learning experience. We're still learning, you know, the the other side of the of the coin, which is now being a coach, being a manager, trying to teach these guys, try to teach them the right way. But it's fun, and I love it this year. Uh, I haven't tried anything so far. I'm still waiting to see if I'm going to go back to Mexico and, and manage or coach or just take it uh, take it back a little bit and see what happens and if I get a job in the States. That's amazing. And if you ever do find uh, the gig that works for you, uh, you got a pitching coach here, maybe a strength conditioning <laughs> coach for $2 million a year. Uh, we'll, we'll listen. <laughs> I can't make any promises, uh, Kareem, but we certainly listen. <laughs> Absolutely. Might be yeah. 2 million pesos, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? Uh, it's converted. I, I think we'll still make more money than we would in, uh, in stateside, but that's to be determined. Uh, 
Steve, how great was it to see Kareem after 20 years? And I don't think he's changed a bit, eh? No, same guy, same passion, uh, loves the game. It, it's great seeing him. You know, um, unfortunately, the way the game works, sometimes you just lose connection with players. And and But it's a baseball family, right? Like when yes. you see guys 20 years later, you remember the times, you remember who they are, you remember saying – you know, or doing things, uh, you know, that are special within the game. And it's like, you don't miss a beat. You just kind of pick up where you left off. And uh, you know, that the guys like Kareem staying in the game and wanting to teach it and the passion for the game uh, is a beautiful thing because we're, we're losing a lot of experienced guys wanting to stay in baseball uh, with the transition of analytics. So uh, kudos to you, Kareem, for, managing coaching and staying in the game uh and and passing on uh your wealth of knowledge to the young players thank you Sid. and steve you gotta be careful man because we found kareem you remember in a previous episode we found we found one of his teammates his first roommate from st catherine's ontario in rookie ball and oh. they had each other for 30 plus years he ended up not making the major scott burrell but ended up I don't know. He went to the NBA and played with Michael Jordan and dance. But, but he was a, like that. Yeah. Your story. You know what you call an NBA uh, champion? A failed MLB player. So Kareem, <laughs> 24 years in the game, brother. Thank you for your contributions to baseball and life and friendship. And we definitely hope to have you back soon. We'll get uh, the producers to talk to you and uh, find your schedule and lots more stories to come. So honestly, thanks for sharing today. You've been amazing. Thank you, guys. You know, hopefully see you soon again. See you in Arizona. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks, gents. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Bye. Stay well.